Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast, your place to explore the world of weird. Coming up on today's episode is the story of a family who moved to an old farmhouse in Maine and got far more than they bargained for when they moved. Later on, the oddities of New England returns on Strangeology Beyond with some weird tales from my corner of the world. So, hey everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode and Man, it gets real hard this time of year to keep up with my uh, bi-weekly-ish uh, production schedule. So thanks for being patient with me while I have other projects going on, freelance stuff, family things. And it's also crunch time to get things ready for Cryptid Bash, which is only a few weeks away from now. And if you've missed the details, that's happening on August 6th at the Morgantown Art Party in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is being hosted by the Moth Boys, which is going to be an awesome time. I'm super excited to see friends there again in the cryptid community and to see a lot of new faces out there. So if you're in the area, definitely check it out. The event is free and there's going to be so many awesome artists and vendors and I believe there's going to be some speakers as well. Uh, so that's something that you definitely don't want to miss for your uh, summer conventions uh, checklist. So anyway, I uh, this might be my last episode until after the Cryptid Bash. I'm going to try to see if I can get one more in. But Anyway, I hope everyone's summer is going well so far. The weather's been great here, and uh, ever since CERN turned the Large Hadron Collider back on this past week or so, as I'm recording this, has been full of weird news. So, uh, it, before we get into today's topic, I just wanted to go over some of these news stories, because it's been forever since I've done a little news segment, so... That's right. CERN has turned the LHC back on for new experiments in particle physics. Now, this particle collider, the LHC, uh, it was actually turned on back in April, I believe, because it's this, if you didn't know, it's this 17-kilometer ring along the French and Swiss border, and it takes quite a while to warm up. Uh, and it sounds like these new experiments will be done at power levels never before achieved, and the scientists there are attempting to learn more about dark matter and other secrets of the universe from what I've read, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of new science and, and physics get discovered. And since back in 2012... The Higgs boson or the God particle was confirmed, which in layman's terms, uh, it was, you know, a pretty huge discovery. It was only like a theoretical thing. And then they finally captured it. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a scientist, but this field that the, the Higgs boson is part of, it's something that's supposed to give mass to other fundamental particles like quarks and electrons. So I remember when the Large Hadron Collider was first gearing up for experiments and all sorts of conspiracy theorists believed that CERN was going to create a mini black hole that would swallow the Earth or something like that. And that didn't happen clearly. Uh, 
or if it did, we're not aware of it. <laughs> but in the wake of the first experiments, you know, there's also the the whole Mandela effect phenomena that seems to grab a foothold in people's minds, which, you know, there's the question of is, if, is it collective uh, forgetfulness or, you know, just misremembering things. And that's a whole rabbit hole to look into. Uh, let me know if I should do an episode on it. That that would be really fun. And I know that I keep seeing people posting stuff on social media and people are still theorizing that uh, the Large Hadron Collider will uh, or might at least uh, cause some strange things to happen. So, you know, hopefully that's not the case. Uh, all right. The next bit of news here is a fun one. Uh, this involved a potential humanoid cryptid creature of some sort, a uh, pale crawler type uh, thing, which showed up on the security camera footage of a cottage at the Red Gorge near Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, and I actually drove through or past Moorhead last year. Uh, when I was en route to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, after CryptidCon was over, uh, which was kind of funny reading this news story. And I was like, oh, I've actually kind of been right near there. Uh, and the story dropped on Phantoms and Monsters, but originally this local guy posted some shots of a CCTV monitor that he took with his phone, you know, kind of like the, uh, the old Fresno nightcrawler original footage. <laughs> um, and it appeared to show this pale humanoid type of thing. And he claimed in the video that it looked like its knees were bending backwards and it was moving in this weird and unearthly way. So it seemed at least on the surface, like it was some, some pretty exciting news, and uh, I was skeptical from the get-go because these screenshots, you could see it could easily just be a guy in a morph suit messing around or maybe he was on something or, you know, pulling a prank. Uh, but the video of this eventually got released the following day and you can tell it's a guy in a full body suit. So unfortunately, this... Uh, this one doesn't have a uh, a happy <laughs> happy Fordian ending, and it's, it was one of those too good to be true scenarios. So that one seems, at least in my opinion, is officially debunked. <laughs> and if you want to see the the video of that, you can find it over on my Instagram, or I'm sure in in uh, other other spots online as well, since it kind of made the rounds and people were were definitely having a conversation about it. All right. All right. The next news story here is uh, a big one, probably the biggest one on this list, uh, which was the destruction of the Georgia Guidestones, which happened on July 6th, around four o'clock in the morning. Now, security cameras caught one of the stones exploding and then a vehicle driving away from the scene very quickly shortly after. So, the uh, turns out the the Swahili and Hindi stone was the one that was blown up. I'm not sure if there is any rhyme or reason for that. Newer footage that was revealed seems to actually show the person planting a device to use to destroy the stone. So it was uh, 
a really interesting development. Later in the day on July 6th, the authorities over uh, concerns that it would be a safety hazard dismantled the whole site. And there was also supposed to be this time capsule that conspiracy theorists were talking about being buried under the guidestones, but the, the whole site got dug up and apparently no time capsule was found, which is interesting unless it's like really deep underground. Now, a lot of people, and this was kind of funny too, a lot of people seem to think that the stones were actually struck by lightning. And I posted this story to my Instagram and TikTok and people were just going off about what actually happened. Like right before the explosion, there's a light that illuminated the site and it seemed to kind of flash really bright for a second. And I'm not sure of the physics behind that. Uh, Clearly someone planted a bomb and blew it up. There was no lightning strike as as far as I can tell. It might have just been the the concussive shock wave from the explosion and it just how security cameras don't always have the best quality. It just uh, didn't didn't quite record in time. <laughs> Maybe someone else can explain that a little bit better. But if you've read anything about conspiracies and the NWO and that kind of thing, you've probably at least heard of the Georgia Guidestones and all the theories surrounding them. Uh, and the story, at least officially, is that they were commissioned to be built in 1980 by a man using the pseudonym R.C. Christian, who some people did some sleuthing and believe that it was actually this doctor from Iowa named Dr. Herbert Kirsten, who died in 2005. And he was described as being involved in environmentalism as well as world population issues, uh, which kind of uh, is is an interesting aspect uh, regarding uh, what is said on the stones or what was said on the stones because they were destroyed. Uh, so there are claims from a historian that lives in Iowa that claims that Kirsten was a racist, white supremacist, and was affiliated with some eugenics supporters types and wanted to control the human population. So that coupled with what was said on the guidestones kind of drives this whole theory. Uh, now, the, the stones each had the same message engraved in eight languages, uh, English, Spanish, Chinese, Arabic, Hindi, Swahili, Hebrew, and Russian. And the capstone on top of the four stones also had ancient Greek, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and cuneiform engraved on its sides as well. And the me- the messaging was basically giving a blueprint to humanity in the wake of an apocalypse, like how to rebuild and reform society. And conspiracy theorists have have called them the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist, but it's interesting. If you read through it, most of the ten points are like, okay, that doesn't sound too bad and makes some sense, like not having petty laws as well as protecting people and nations with fair laws and just courts, like don't be a jerk, don't be a cancer to the earth and encourage diversity. That all sounds great, right? Uh, The first line, however, is the infamous one that makes everyone raise an eyebrow, which 
suggests maintaining the population of humanity under 500 million uh, to be in balance with nature. And uh, last time I checked, I think uh, the population of humanity is rapidly approaching 8 billion, um, which is a big number. <laughs> so many uh, theorists have taken that to mean that this was about population control from the New World Order. And uh, well, yeah, it's uh, it was a really interesting, <laughs> really interesting development for sure. Um, I feel like I saw an article or somebody say something about how they're going to, someone is going to rebuild them. Not sure. Don't quote me on that, but you know, that's a, <laughs> it was a very interesting development indeed. Now the, uh, the, the coup de gras for the news here, and this is the last story, uh, before we get into today's main topic, I promise <laughs> it was a busy week. Uh, this is the story about YouTuber Coyote Peterson, the guy who lets venomous insects sting him, uh, claims to be, um, you know, a, uh, an expert in animals and he's an educator, uh, you know, Fun, fun guy has a lot of, a lot of fun and entertaining videos for sure. Uh, now he, he came out with this post on July 7th claiming to have found a primate skull after some big storm, uh, in Canada. Now this was, this skull was partially buried in a riverbed somewhere in British Columbia, you know. <laughs> an undisclosed location. And in the post, it was written and described that he had retrieved this skull with his crew and they smuggled it over the border, uh, got through customs, and he had talked and given this skull to a primatologist in a secure location to review it. Uh, and all the while he wasn't saying it was Bigfoot, but obviously the insinuation was there. So like immediately the entire internet started dissecting the photos and everything that was written because you know, what if, right, this could be a world changing thing if it was legit. And after like an hour, uh, people are like, this picture is a, is showing or these pictures because there were I think like four of them uh, are showing a gorilla skull. <laughs> Obviously, that's not a Bigfoot, and you also can't smuggle that kind of thing that's like that big out of Canada and into the states. There's laws against that. Like you go to jail <laughs> for that stuff. And Jeff Meldrum, uh, if you know anything about Bigfoot. He's a, a, a big guy in the, the Bigfoot field and as well as other, uh, experts came out and they're like, yeah, this is a hundred percent a gorilla skull, uh, which it could be a real gorilla skull or it could be a replica. Um, there was like a hole in the side of this skull that, um, I read was a way for, um, taxidermists to, remove like the brain matter when they're preparing the skull for, uh, preservation and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it very well could have been, I mean, it was more, more, more than likely a, a replica. Uh, and there's companies that do make 
models that look almost identical to <laughs> what was in Coyote Peterson's uh, post. So the following day, uh, he makes another post that has a link to a new YouTube video of his with the premise of this whole thing being, uh, this is a what if scenario. Uh, what would happen if someone actually found a real Bigfoot skull and was using this as kind of like a publicity stunt to sell t-shirts and I guess gain some notoriety. Uh, so, you know, obviously, uh, it wasn't real ever. And, uh, the whole thing was a big letdown and people are pissed. <laughs> and I'm sure that, you know, the cryptozoology community community will, uh, never trust anything that coyote Peterson has to say about Bigfoot or other cryptids ever again. Uh, which I'm not sure if he, he's ever, I'm not like super familiar with his content. Um, I just know his stuff from like getting stung by the most venomous insects in the world. Uh, I'm not sure if he's done a lot of stuff or anything um, regarding cryptids or that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so <laughs> that one's a hoax, everyone. If you're if you're still wondering, uh, well, not a hoax, I guess just a PR stunt. So just so you're aware, uh, no, a Bigfoot skull was not found in Canada this past week. All right. Well, why don't we get into today's topic? This one is pretty intense. And uh, <laughs> hold on to your butts. And let me tell you about the story of the Palmyra Wolf Pack. I got to say, this was, <laughs> this is one of those things that you research and you're reading it and, uh, you start getting like the hair raising up on your neck and like getting the, the heebie jeebies and, uh, <laughs> creeped out that maybe something is like outside. Um, so this case was investigated by Linda Godfrey. So, you know, it's about werewolves and dogmen, right? Cause that's kind of what Linda Godfrey is known for. And this story actually appeared in an episode of the, I believe it was Sci-Fi Channel, uh, had this show, Paranormal Witness, uh, during their third season, episode nine, which aired in 2013. And Phantoms and Monsters has a great rundown of this incident, as well as an interview with one of the witnesses, if you want to read more details on this particular story. So... The Palmyra Wolves, or Wolf Pack, uh, is the harrowing tale of the Martin family, uh, who lived in Palmyra, Maine, for a brief period of time. And it, it goes like this. So, in 2005, uh, Eric Martin and his wife, Shelley Rockwell Martin, had been put in the position of having to downsize and simplify their lives after a workplace injury left Eric unable to return to his paper mill job. He really messed up his back. He slipped a disc or two and was pretty much going to be on disability for the rest of his life. Uh, so after spending some time looking for a new and more affordable home, uh, his wife Shelly found this old picturesque farmhouse with a ton of acreage for sale in this small town called Palmyra in Maine. And conveniently, this was also 
the town where Shelley was starting a new job to make up for Eric not being able to work anymore. And this farm was way out in the country and down this long winding driveway and was surrounded by a dense, like untouched forest on all sides. Uh, and Palmyra is kind of like halfway between Bangor and Augusta, Maine. Um, and I-95 does run through Palmyra, I think on like the southeastern corner of it. And it's a real small town, only a population of like just under 2000 people. So we're talking, <laughs> we're talking rural, uh, New England here. So the Martins bought the home and moved in. And an important detail for later is that Eric came from a family of hunters and was an avid hunter his whole life. So he had a, a pretty big gun collection, which was frequently a source of conflict uh, as Shelley was not a fan of guns. So so Eric and Shelley had two kids. They had an older son who was grown up and he lived on his own. And they also had a 17-year-old daughter who lived with them. So when they moved into the farmhouse, uh, Shelley wanted these guns to be locked up safe. So their son, Sean, came over and helped Eric build this lockable safe box to store all of his weapons out of the house and into the barn that they had on the property, which was about some 65 feet away from the house. And so the guns would be locked in the box and the barn would also be locked up as well. So it'd be really hard to access them in a moment's notice, which like I said, is important later. So everything was going great for the first year that, that they lived at this farmhouse and the Martins were enjoying their new life in the country and uh, getting into a routine of sitting out on their covered porch at night that kind of went around three sides of, of this old farmhouse that they bought and they'd have uh, an evening coffee after dinner if the weather was right to just chat about the day or what was going on. And one night, the first sign of trouble appeared. Eric, Shelley, and their son, Sean, who was visiting for the night, were hanging out on the porch. And Shelley noticed this series of odd pulsating lights beyond the tree line. And their, their home is kind of like smack dab in the center of this like large field. So it's like several hundred feet to the tree line. And there was only one road in and out and it would lead up to their gravel driveway. They had kind of like a big gravel parking area in front of the house. And they had a pretty much like 360 degree view of the farm field around the house as well as the surrounding forest. And there was like several hundred feet of field before it actually reached the tree line. Um, so based on where these lights were, they weren't near the road coming into the property. So there was no way that these lights were coming from a car because it, they were pretty much just like in the middle of the woods. Now, their son, Sean, thought it might have been a poacher hunting on their property, but Shelley had a feeling that it might have been something something else, something unnatural. So Eric and Sean grabbed some flashlights and decided to go 
into the field to check things out and to yell out to whoever it was that they need to leave. They're on private posted property. But by the time they got to the tree line, these lights had faded deeper into the woods until they just couldn't see them anymore. They simply vanished. And if that wasn't creepy, Eric noticed that it had become deathly silent outside. So there's no sounds of nocturnal animals or insects, you know, the sound of crickets chirping. Uh, there were just no normal sounds of the forest happening. And they noted that the sound of a twig snapping under their feet as they walked sounded so loud that it echoed through the forest. So they're experiencing the Oz effect or the Oz factor when things go eerily silent, which kind of usually means there's something out there, possibly something dangerous or a predator in their midst. So they decide whoever this person was, was probably on their way out. They're not thinking that there's something off about this situation. Uh, but just to make sure, Eric and Sean decided to venture a little bit further into the forest to try to keep warding off whoever it was behind those lights. And the forest, again, is this dense and wild, mostly, if not pretty much 100% untouched by humans. There's no walking trails or anything cleared out to make an easy walk through the woods without having to shove aside branches and, and that kind of thing. You know, there's all these brambles and bushes. <laughs> if you've ever been into a thick forest, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So it seems odd that a person might've been wandering around out there, uh, in the early evening. So, and it turns out that they didn't find any footprints or anything where they were. I imagine that they tried to enter the forest in roughly the same location as where they saw the lights. Uh, you know, at the same time, if it's a thick forest and there's a lot of uh, brush and low branches, it would probably be pretty hard to tell. But as they were moving a little bit further into the forest, Eric and Sean started to hear the sound of something off to their side, pacing them about 40 to 50 feet away. You know, something that sounded significant enough in size that it caused them concern. Uh, they didn't know if it was something like a bear or a moose. So they decided it was best to get back to the house and not mess with a wild animal that it was out there. So a month goes by and there's no weirdness, no high strangeness happening. It's springtime and the Martin's daughter, Chelsea, uh, has her boyfriend over to visit. And the Martins also had hunting dogs uh, because, of course, Eric had been an avid hunter his whole life. So Chelsea and her boyfriend decided to take them out for a walk in the woods uh, around their house uh, this particular day. So while they're out, the dogs seemed to catch the scent of something. And as dogs sometimes do, they decided to chase after it. And it took a while for Chelsea and her boyfriend to catch up to the dogs because the forest, again, is just like so overgrown and thick. And 
when they finally catch up, they, they find the dogs sniffing around this huge mound that has this opening uh, dug into it like it's some kind of animal den. And there were apparently large pieces of wood and branches purposely laid on onto it, kind of like a, a lean-to almost. And they seem to be placed in there in you know, an intelligent way, not like they just randomly fell. And there was also like moss placed around the structure as well that was picked up from somewhere else in the forest. Like whatever this structure was, is something's home. So naturally this scene uh, began to fill Chelsea with a sense of dread and this knowing that they we're not supposed to be there and that they need to go. Uh, so she urged her boyfriend that, you know, they need to leave with the dogs and get back to the house. And uh, at that point, her boyfriend starts poking his head into the opening and it's just all black in there. He can't see anything. Um, and after a moment, he thought he heard what sounded like growling. <laughs> and at this point he's like, okay, Chelsea, we gotta, we gotta put it out of here. Uh, so, Potentially either it was uh, it was like the wind going in and out. Maybe this was like a, a massive like underground structure that was in there. Um, <laughs> either that or there was something in there. Uh, and if it wasn't people who built that, what was it? Right. Uh, so a little bit more time passes. And now it's uh, the month of May and it's Memorial Day weekend. So. On this weekend, this particular day, uh, or it's around 10 p.m. at night, and uh, Shelly was getting the evening coffee ready for her and Eric so they could spend time on the porch and enjoy the evening before they went to bed. But this night, there was something off in the air. Uh, something just wasn't right, and they kind of both seemed to feel it. And after... Eric and Shelly settled in on the porch and are chatting. Eric notices that the evening was quiet, kind of like the night that he and Sean chased after those strange lights some months ago. And it was just the whole, <laughs> the whole like field was full of this creepy, <laughs> creepy mist. Uh, and then Eric hears this odd sound in the distance and whatever it was started to uh, ring his alarm bells that there was uh, a danger out there. And he started encouraging Shelly that they should probably call it a night and go inside. Uh, but Shelly wasn't too concerned yet and wanted to stay out for a little bit longer. That is until she heard rustling that was closer by to where they were than the strange sound from just moments earlier. So Shelly grabs her high-powered flashlight and begins to scan the field around the property. And she stops scanning right in the middle of the field and sees these three huge creatures out there looking right at them with big greenish yellow glowing eyes. So obviously there's some eye shine there. So <laughs> these are animals uh and whatever they are they appear to be wolf-like uh but not quite wolves and a moment later 
two more of these creatures come into view of where Shelly's high-powered flashlight is uh, locked on to the other three's location. And they notice, Shelly notices that these things are starting to slowly come towards the house. And she could see that they had canine-looking paws with these long claws on their hind legs and had thighs that reminded her of like kangaroo thighs. So like really quite powerful legs. And it looked like they had like a smooth light to dark brown fur and seemed to have this hunched back. And despite having a relatively smooth coat of fur, they had this kind of like wild hair on their heads that stuck up in tufts. <laughs> and Shelly's asking Eric, like, what do you think these things are? And Eric is like, I don't know, maybe they're bears or some kind of weird wolf. Uh, but he's, he's been a hunter his whole life. So clearly he probably, you know, knows how to identify like most kind of big animals and predators, but he had no idea exactly what they were. And Shelly and Eric see these five creatures suddenly begin to charge at the house as they're talking. Uh, and they're coming at them like lightning, lightning fast. And Shelly can't even keep the light on them. So they rush inside and lock the door behind them and immediately begin, begin to make the rounds around the whole first level of the house, locking all the windows and any other doors that they might have. And they shut all the curtains and blinds that they have to the windows and turn off all the lights. And in a later interview, Shelley said that they knew these creatures were real and definitely threatening because when they began to charge, she said that you could feel the vibrations and rumble on the ground as they ran because they were huge and must have been uh, each individually very heavy. And they were probably, I'm not sure of the exact distance details on that, but when they first started charging, they were probably still, you know, at least a hundred feet away, maybe more, uh, which, you know, <laughs> those things had to be pretty massive if they were able to feel vibrations in the ground, I would think. Uh, so, Eric felt like whatever was heading towards the house was large and dangerous. And his gut was telling him, you know, this, this isn't bears or your regular wolf bears are, uh, for the most part, solitary, unless it's a mother bear with her cubs and there aren't wolves in Maine anymore. Uh, so Eric wasn't sure that the doors or windows would hold back some, predator as large as what these things were that was coming after them. But all of his guns were locked up in the barn. Uh, and he was thinking to himself that he wanted to make a break for the barn. So he had something to protect his family with, but he's talking with Shelly and she's like, no, you need to stay in the house because we have no idea what these things are and what they're capable of. <laughs> so, for the time being, Eric reluctantly obliged and just kind of camped out and Shelly decides to run upstairs to wake up their daughter, Chelsea, to let her know what's going on. And 
she's like, <laughs> Chelsea's like half asleep and, and, uh, Shelly's like, Hey, like come over to the bedroom window and check this out. Let's see what's out there. There's these like scary creatures. I don't know. Like, why would you show your daughter that? But, um, so they carefully pull back a little bit of the windows curtain, just enough to see, uh, like their gravel, uh, parking area, part of the driveway outside in front of the house. And sure enough, all five of these creatures are in the driveway sitting in a row, just looking at the house. Like they're waiting for Eric and Shelly to come back outside. (laughs) Uh, whatever behavior this was, you know, didn't seem very, very normal behavior of, uh, of pack animals or, or anything like that. Uh, so Shelly and Chelsea are watching these things for a minute or two. And then one of them looks directly at them in the window with its glowing eyes. And it stands up on its hind legs like what? And they estimated Shelly estimates that, whatever this thing was stood up and it looked like it was probably around seven to eight feet tall. Like hell no. (laughs) So Shelly gasps and falls backwards and they shut the shade and tells Chelsea to stay in her bed. Don't go near the window. Don't leave the room. And Shelly realized that the, their hunting dogs, the family dogs were nowhere to be found. They weren't making any noise. And so she is worried that maybe they had gotten out. Uh, but she eventually found them cowering in a shadowy corner of the house. And, uh, if the hunting dogs were scared, whatever was waiting for them outside was definitely (laughs) something that shouldn't be messed with. It's a huge, huge threat, right? So, Meanwhile, Eric is downstairs formulating a plan to get the guns from the barn or at least to get to his truck so that they can try to make an escape from the property. Getting the guns is a bad plan because of his mobility issues with his back and running the 65-ish feet to the barn Uh, managing to unlock it quick enough and then fumbling around to pull down the gun case and unlock that, grab a gun, get it loaded. (laughs) It would surely be like a suicide mission being openly exposed to these mystery creatures, uh, which are clearly very fast and could likely tear them up without a problem uh, if they wanted to. You know, who knows what these creatures want? <laughs> so he he figures that his best chance to save his family is to get to the truck, back it up onto the front porch and have Shelly and Chelsea jump in. And so they can speed off into the night. So Eric peeks behind one of the window blinds facing the front of the house from the uh, ground level floor. And the creatures have apparently gone off somewhere else. They're nowhere to be seen. So he gives it a minute, peeks again, and notices that they're actually way out in the field where he and Shelly first saw them. So he goes out on the porch and can see the creatures out in the field, but thankfully they haven't noticed him yet. 
So he walks as quietly as he can over to his truck, which is only about 30 feet away from the house. He manages to make it to the driver's side door without being noticed by these creatures. But, you know, his adrenaline's pumping and of course the truck is locked. So he's fumbling with his keys to try and get it unlocked. And when he finally, uh, you know, gets his keys ready to go, (laughs) the motion sensor on the barn uh, for its floodlight goes off and lights up Eric like a Christmas tree. And Eric is understandably very on edge and drops his keys and he checks out where these creatures were in the field. He looks out and he sees that one of them has stood up on its hind legs and is looking directly at him. And before he even has a chance to retrieve his keys, all five of these creatures start charging towards him and they're like, on top of him in no time. And he bends down quick to grab his keys and he's trying to unlock the truck. And he realizes that he's like face to face with one of these creatures, just about just beyond the beam of the barn floodlight. And he sees this creature's like arm and clawed hand reaching out (laughs) through the light for him. And, uh, it gets like a little bit too much into the light. And then it, for some reason it stops and like, doesn't like recoil, but it bolts back into the darkness, which is interesting. It's like, maybe it's afraid of the light or something like that. So Eric's fight or flight instinct kicks in and he chooses flight and runs like hell back to the house. And just as he gets back inside to slam and lock the door behind him, he can hear the creatures crossing over the gravel just in front of the porch. (laughs) And now this next part is wild. So uh, all the creatures, instead of sitting out on the driveway like last time, I guess they were close enough to see Eric go inside. They decide to jump up on the porch, uh, (laughs) which, you know, wraps around like three sides of the house and they're like running around it. And Eric is terrified and ducks down out of sight from the windows in case one of these creatures tries to look inside like the, the, the blinds and curtains are drawn, but I'm sure in some windows there might be uh, a little bit of a a sliver that you can peek through, or perhaps they have like a small window that might not actually be blocked out. So meanwhile, Shelly and Chelsea are still upstairs and they can hear the commotion outside and she yells down to Eric to find out what's what's going on and obviously these things can hear what they're saying inside or they're that they're making noise they're in the house <laughs> and now they're not going to go away um the first time it was probably like they didn't quite see them go in the house and they were just kind of waiting to see what would happen and then when no one came out they were like eh okay we're going to get out of here <laughs> so he tells Eric tells them to stay put up, upstairs And out of sight. And after a few minutes of these creatures walking around the covered porch, Eric hears them walking back onto the gravel in the driveway. And he gives it a little bit more time, tries peeking out the window again. And he sees all of these, I'm going to call it werewolves or dogmen creatures, whatever you want to call them, 
all sitting in a row in front of the house again. Like they're just waiting for the Martins to come out. And Eric decides he's going to quietly move upstairs to rejoin with Shelly and Chelsea and decide the best course of action, uh, which was to try calling the local police. And the hope there was that maybe the police could send a patrol car out to the property and the driving up to their house with the headlights on might scare these creatures off. Uh, so Shelly calls the cops and explains that she doesn't say that there's like dog men creatures uh, accosting them. Uh, like what else do you say when there's a literal group of movie monsters stalking you from outside your house in the middle of the night? Um, and so she explains it like there's, there's something outside. Like there's a, there's an animal outside uh, that we're concerned about. And basically the police told them to lock all the, uh, the doors to the house and the windows, which they already did. Uh, and that they can just wait it out. It'll be fine. It's probably a bear. We're not going to send out a patrol car. This is a waste of our time. So <laughs> basically Eric Shelley and their daughter, Chelsea, are on their own to survive the night. Uh, and Eric decides that it's time to make another attempt to go outside, uh, this time to run to the barn and retrieve his guns. And he realizes that in his previous encounter that he <laughs> barely escaped from, uh, for some reason, light seems to scare these creatures or at least ward them off. Uh, so he's he makes it outside and the these wolf creatures have gone away from sight. We're not entirely sure where they are. Uh, so he decides to run towards the barn. And keep in mind, this guy has a bad back. So it's, you know, he's probably not moving too terribly fast. <laughs> and he's waving his arms, flailing them around, trying to get the motion sensor for the barn's floodlight to go off again. Uh, so he has like a kind of, you know, shield to keep the creatures at bay and it finally comes on. But Eric immediately sees five sets of eyes waiting nearby, just in the darkness, uh, staring at him and stalking him. And although his theory about the light seems to be true, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever protection that offers, you know, isn't isn't all that much uh because these things are just waiting for that light to turn off um so eric decides it's too risky and he turns tail and heads back to the house because there's no way he figures that he's going to be able to get into the barn and back alive with all the all of the obstacles of like getting getting the barn and the and the gun box unlocked and everything that i've mentioned before so Eric, just just before he makes it back to the house, the floodlight turns off on the barn and he can hear these wolf creatures coming after him. And he manages to make it make it back inside uh, just in time. And they spend the next 30 minutes barricading all the doors and windows with heavy furniture, tables, chairs, uh, anything uh, to reinforce like what little, <laughs> what little barrier that they have between them and these creatures. And they're grabbing 
all the biggest kitchen knives that they that they have. Um, luckily, there was this axe that was left indoors when they were splitting wood earlier in the week uh, that they could use to defend themselves. Um, <laughs> and so they decide, you know, after they get all the downstairs barricaded, they go upstairs. Uh, they grab their daughter and their dogs and go into the master bedroom uh, and they barricade the door there and decide to wait it out until sunrise. So they're all just like hanging out on the master bed as quiet as they can. And they hear the creatures out in the driveway. You know, they hear the gravel kind of footsteps on the gravel and they come onto the porch and start to pace around. And the Martins said that they could hear them making these strange vocalizations, like they were communicating with each other. There would be like this kind of low growling uh, and other, you know, strange noises. And Shelley described it as kind of sounding like this demonic voice, like they were talking. Uh, and it's like, whatever these things were, clearly they had some kind of intelligence beyond that of a normal wolf or animal, uh, besides them, you know, being able to walk on their hind legs, uh, which, you know, is not a total anomaly. Bears can walk on their hind legs as well, but whatever these things are, they're definitely not bears. And it seems like for all intents and purposes that these creatures were trying to coordinate a way to attack the Martin family or trying to figure out what this house thing was and how to get in. Uh, so the night is trudging along. And one of the details about the house that I haven't mentioned yet, which I mean, it's kind of a no brainer, if, you know, a covered porch. <laughs> it has like a roof section to it. Right. Uh, and the upstairs, which is a smaller footprint than the first floor, like looking down, on the house, there would be like a big square, which is the first floor, and then a smaller square on top, uh, which is the the second floor where the bedrooms are. And uh, the master bedroom where they're in has two windows on two different walls. And Chelsea's bedroom is on the other side of the first floor, only has one window, uh, at least from the descriptions that, that I read when researching this. So... Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is that the the roof of the porch is pretty much level with the second floor. Like you could you could hang out on the roof porch if you just went out through one of the bedroom windows. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like the windows are right there and, you know, you could go outside onto the roof or you could look right in to the bedrooms on the second floor if you were on that roof. <laughs> uh, and after some time. They heard these creatures leave the porch and everything went silent. And they're just kind of hoping that these creatures are gone. But then all of a sudden they hear this loud thud on the roof of the covered porch. And one of these things jumped up there. And that's got to be eight, nine, 10, maybe even 11 feet off the ground. Like the, the sheer amount of, power that it would take for something and something large too to jump that high and like defy gravity like that. That's nuts. Uh, so thankfully the, the Martins had curtains, although they were thin curtains and 
the rest of the creatures all jumped up onto the roof of the covered porch and began pacing around it really slow and methodically. And the Martins are laying in their bed as quiet as possible. And every few moments they would see the silhouette of one of these creatures pass by the window and they'd stop at the window and put their hands on it. Not in like an aggressive way, uh, because if they wanted to bust in through a window, there would be absolutely no stopping it. Um, <laughs> even, even with the Martins having like an ax and a knife, I would think that would probably be torn to shreds in a matter of seconds, regardless. Like they might be able to get a couple slashes in, but <laughs> they'd be done for. Uh, and my thought here is that, uh, maybe they don't realize that what glass is or that it's something easy to break, or maybe they, they were seeing their reflection in it and it confused them, uh, or something like that. Most animals I feel like don't really acknowledge their reflection. Uh, but if these things are smarter than your average animal, maybe they could actually recognize it and perhaps it caused some confusion. <laughs> like they're like, Oh, there's other wolves here. What's going on? Um, and at these things were just like on there for hours, just pacing back and forth. And at certain points they could hear these creatures digging at something like they were trying to burrow into the house, trying to find weak points. So it's just like terror after terror. And after this like night that probably felt like it lasted forever. The sun finally starts to rise. It's, you know, probably like 4am <laughs> and, uh, they hear the creatures all, all five of them jump off the roof and, uh, walk across the gravel driveway. And presumably they head back towards the woods, uh, because, they don't like being out in the light, apparently. So I imagine they're headed back to potentially their den that that Chelsea found in the woods on the property. I would think that's, uh, you know, <laughs> a safe bet to say that could have been where they lived. Uh, so the Martins wanted to play it safe and decide to wait it out for another hour at least uh, before going to check to see if the coast is clear. Uh, so they don't hear the creatures anymore and they head downstairs and move away all the barricades in front of the front front door and check out what's going on outside. The creatures are gone. And, uh, for now it seems that they're safe. Um, now they're, they checked out the scene of their property and their house. And there's these massive canine like tracks everywhere with claws, uh, at, at the ends of the tracks where like the toes are, um, which was especially evident, uh, from the di disturbance of the morning dew on the ground and in the grass around their property. They noticed that there were tufts of fur apparently that were caught up on some fence posts that, uh, you know, <laughs> weren't there before. So possibly from, from these creatures, there were also deep scratch marks, around the exterior walls of the house and especially on the second floor exterior walls where they heard the burrowing noises in the middle of the night and the front door was all torn up on the outside as well. So whatever these things were, they, they meant business 
Uh, but for some reason, they they couldn't figure out exactly how to get in to the house. So immediately after this night of terror, the Martins sold their old farmhouse and moved away, uh, which I wouldn't blame them <laughs> for that. If you got freaking werewolves or dogmen, whatever they are living in your woods and they've already tried to come after you, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever they are on the property, uh, thankfully didn't follow them to where they went to next. Uh, and apparently the, the Martins wound up buying Shelley's childhood home. Although I'm guessing it's probably nowhere near Palmyra, Maine. Uh, not even sure that that information isn't disclosed at all. Uh, but she said in an interview that even before this incident, that they had been planning to move away. I guess, you know, they had their routines and stuff, but it sounds like maybe the country life wasn't working out for them, or perhaps uh, Shelly was looking for a better job. Uh, and the run-in with these dog creatures was kind of the final nail in the coffin uh, <laughs> for them to make the decision to split and run. Uh, so it was asked if anything else weird had ever happened on the property besides the dogman incident, uh, which is, I wanted to just make a brief mention of that because uh, most, uh, most times this story is reiterated out there. I feel like this is a detail that, that isn't talked about uh, at all or uh, very infrequently. So beyond uh, werewolves and dogmen, apparently there was some paranormal activity on this farm as well. In the year that the Martins lived at this farmhouse, uh, Eric would say that he would frequently see this apparition of uh, a 12 to 13 year old girl, not their daughter or anyone they knew. Uh, and she would be seen in the loft of their barn outside uh, on the property or even inside the farmhouse. And she appeared pretty unkempt and was in period clothing, like from the 1800s, like an old dress and had braids and old lace up leather boots. Think like Laura Ingalls Wilder, right? <laughs> and apparently she looked kind of mean and tough. Uh, but thankfully, whatever this apparition was, didn't interact with Eric or the family. Uh, there may have been a case of of this apparition looking at Eric at one point in time. And Shelley also uh, mentioned that there was an incident one time when they were sleeping and her foot had like gotten exposed from under the blankets on the bed in the middle of the night. And she felt something slap her foot, like the top of her foot, and it woke her up. And she looked around the room but didn't see anything. So she wasn't sure if it was like a dream <laughs> or what. But, uh, you know, perhaps there, were, there was something a little more going on there. And Shelly did say in interviews that she wasn't entirely sure if these creatures were of a hundred percent of our like dimensional plane or whatever. Like there is an insinu an insinuation that perhaps they could have been interdimensional in some way or another. Uh, especially with like the kind of crazy, uh, 
uh, strength and ability and speed that they displayed that evening. Now, you're probably wondering, is there any evidence of what happened on this 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 old farmhouse? Uh, and she says that they did try to at one point in the evening, they did try to take a picture of these things when they were they had retreated back to uh, the field and they have this pond uh, out in the field and uh, they tried using a flash uh, on the camera, but you know, it's so dark and far off that they couldn't pick up anything. Right. That happens. Anytime you, you try nighttime photography, if, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, So in the morning, Shelly wound up taking pictures of the tracks that they, they found in like the dirt around the property um, as well as some other stuff. But apparently uh, when her daughter, Chelsea went out to uh, get Shelly a new cell phone the following mother's day, I assume, you know, cell phone cameras back in 2005, 2006 were like totally crap. So <laughs> you're, you're talking about like one to one to two megapixel pictures at like a resolution of like 240 by 360 or something like that. Um, not good. And you know, <laughs> maybe she had one of like the old Motorola razors or something like that. Um, so apparently all of the images that she did have were lost because when Chelsea went to go exchange uh, Shelly's old phone to get her a new phone for Mother's Day, the SIM card got left in the old phone uh, during the swap. So she lost all the photos that she had taken uh, of any of the evidence that they had. So it's like that's like a little bit, you know, of a convenient out, a little bit suspicious. Um, but you know, if you, if you don't know, uh, to, to be like, Hey, don't, uh, don't lose my SIM card that has the pictures of the event that happened with the wolf creatures. <laughs> uh, so yeah, who knows exactly. Um, but in the interview that, that Shelly gave about this, this, uh, this whole ordeal, um, she, she said that the events changed the Martin's life forever. Clearly they, they uprooted and sold their house immediately. And, uh, it made Shelly realize that there are, uh, things out there in this world that we don't know about or understand things on the fringes of reality. And she questioned whether or not these creatures were actually a hundred percent, like I said. Uh, so it's anyone's guess as to what they are. And, Clearly, there's uh, there's tales of of dogmen, you know. You've got the Michigan dogmen, the the uh, the beasts of Bray Road. There's uh, the Texas dogman triangle, uh, all sorts of places around uh, the country and even the world that that report strange, uh, hairy, bipedal humanoid type creatures, uh, dog type creatures that uh, that we don't we don't have a, an explanation for. So. And another thing was that she, she was constantly asking herself, like where she went through all the scenarios in her head, like where these creatures came from, have other people seen them? What do they want? That kind of thing. She realized that these creatures also must have snooped around the property before, at least before they moved there and noted that, you know, 
they seemed to be able to navigate their way around the property. And clearly, if they lived in the woods around there, they've probably uh, come by a few times, maybe to get a drink of water from the pond in the field. Um, and, you know, another interesting aspect was that the hunting dogs that, that the Martins had uh, would be let out to, to run and, and, and play and do whatever dogs do. And uh, the dogs were never, <laughs> never uh, injured or anything like that. Uh, so you got to wonder if, uh, yeah, maybe they found some kin kinship in, in the hunting dogs, but, uh, whatever this, these things were, uh, whatever happened to this family, if it's real, um, it's, it's, uh, an incident that they claim never goes away in their minds. And that, my friends, is the story of the Palmyra Wolves, or the Wolf Pack, as it's also referred to. This is a uh, this is a story that's been on my radar for a while, and I hope you enjoyed it. I I didn't really get to look into the details of it until I started doing research for the episode. You know, I think I first heard about it when I was looking for uh, stories about dogmen. And I saw it pop up and I was like, oh, there's uh, werewolf stories in New England. <laughs> and uh, recently over on the Clubhouse app, I did a, a presentation about uh, some werewolf stories in Vermont, which was surprising to <laughs> to learn about. But uh, yeah, I got to say it was uh, a terrifying tale and not something I would ever want to experience if, if it's real. Um, the Martins seemed sincere about their claims after the fact, but I suppose you never know if it's, if it's all made up or if it's something that really happened. Um, the way that it was all described and the picture that was painted of the events of that evening. I mean, someone, Someone's got to make a movie about that if it hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been made already, you know. Uh, I guess there's like movies like Dog Soldiers <laughs> from back in the day, but um, <laughs> who knows? Like, yeah, if if it was Dogman or what, I don't know. I don't think it was a regular wolf or a bear. I mean, canines. Uh, you know, cer certain dogs can do some some crazy tricks and stunts, but like something that's Bigfoot size jumping eight, nine, 10 feet up onto the roof of a covered porch, uh, and being able to bolt across an open field. That's a few hundred feet across and be on top of someone in a matter of seconds is those are some pretty big feats, I think, <laughs> but Hey, uh, let me know over on my discord channel. Uh, or on my Instagram, what you think of this story and, uh, let's get a conversation going about it. Cause it, it's a definitely, definitely a fun story, a terrifying story. And, uh, maybe there's some more out there that we just don't know about. All right. Before I end the episode today, I've got to plug the Patreon. So if you're looking for a way to support the Strangeology podcast, do yourselves a favor and head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology. I've got multiple tiered reward systems in place over there where you get more benefits uh, the higher up you go, 
in the different tier levels. Some of the benefits include shoutouts, discounts to my Etsy shop, exclusive merch, which I actually just got some brand new exclusive merch in. These uh, really sweet uh, hard enamel glow in the dark uh, logo pins for uh, members of the Patreon who have been with me for at least a year. Uh, there's also the T-shirt of the month club where you get sent a new home state cryptid and legend shirt each month. And there's also access to my VIP discord rooms for Patreon chat and early access to new episodes, as well as access to the bonus extension I do called Strangeology Beyond, which is sometimes a whole other episode in and of itself. Uh, and even some behind the scenes stuff as well, if you like that kind of thing. And a big shout out, of course, to my Patreon family that keeps growing bigger. Without your support, Strangeology would not be where it is today. I love all of you. And again, if you want to check that out, head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology. And if you're looking for another way to support the podcast, you can head on over to my Etsy shop, which is strangeology.etsy.com. I've got a ton of cryptid, alien, and Fordian themed merch over there. I sell my designs on t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, hoodies, long sleeves, stickers. I've got enamel pins, mugs, magnets, uh, you name it. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, my Homestake Cryptids and Legends map is finally complete and live on my shop and people are, are digging it quite a bit. Uh, I currently have an 18 by 24 inch uh, version of it. I think I'm going to do maybe a 24 by 36, although I have to, uh, I might have to <laughs> reorient a few things to get it to fit just right. Uh, so if you like maps like me, <laughs> it might be a great addition to your collection. So I'd appreciate it if you checked all that stuff out. It helps me out so much. And of course, be sure to follow me on my socials. If you're looking for more content from me, uh, or you want to send me a DM, uh, messages of encouragement, or uh, if you have uh, feedback for episodes, or just want to see day-to-day -day stuff, memes, and also, importantly, uh, to be uh, <laughs> aware of when I do merch giveaways, which I'm planning on running a merch giveaway very soon. Uh, so probably uh, within a few days uh, or the following week after this episode airs. So be on the lookout for details on that. You can find my Instagram at strange.ology, uh, Twitter at strangeologist, and strangeology, uh, just the word strangeology for Facebook and TikTok. Also be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel as well where I have some YouTube only content and plans to do more with the channel soon. Well, that about does it for now. Thank you again so much for checking out the episode today and uh, joining me in the harrowing tale of the Palmyra Wolves. For Patreon members, stick around after this short break. And when I come back, I'm going to return to more stories of my oddities of new england series which i have not done in quite some time so until next time as i always say 
Take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange. Alright, welcome back everyone. Thanks for sticking around for Strangeology Beyond. And uh, yeah, there's, uh, like I said before, this might be my only episode this month.